Coming to you from Brick House in downtown Brooklyn, this is 112BK. On the show today, six years after Zuccotti Park was cleared, a yes man on what activism can achieve, experiencing homelessness in Brooklyn, and crowdsourced artwork. Hi, I'm Ashley Ford. Thanks for joining us today. You know, it's always hard to tell if the moment you're living in justifies heightened anxiety, or if you're just feeling acutely anxious because you're living in it. I'm sure it was no fun living during McCarthyism. The Great Depression, definitely not a hoot. And I don't think anyone wants to live under the fear of conscription for war, be it World Wars I, II, or Vietnam. And in my lifetime, 9-11 and the aftermath also sucked. <laughs> but it's still hard not to think we're hitting some kind of nadir. With Trump, the behavior of the Republican-led Congress, the environment, the fires in California, you know, somehow those fires feel symbolic to me. Though that's my luxury, being 3,000 miles away, because I know the threat of life and property loss are real, and my heart goes out to everyone dealing with that. I hope for a quick and safe resolution. But it feels like we're all being engulfed in flames, and I'm trying to figure out how to stick my head up out of the inferno and get some oxygen and some perspective. There are signs of hope, the movement of silence breakers, as time tagged it, kudos again to all you brave souls. And those people fighting day in, day out for justice on whatever front, you give me strength. And we're gonna keep bringing those people on the show. People like Tarana Burke, like Wade Davis, like Albert Kahn. And we hope they can give you strength and the sense of togetherness and community we need to counter all this negativity. And if we're indeed at the bottom right now, you know what they say only one way to go. Today we've got a great show. We'll meet one of the Yes Men, the culture-jamming activist group behind outlandish pranks meant to raise awareness about corporate control. Two residents of a homeless shelter will tell us about their challenges, and we'll also check out crowdsourcing art with a competition. But first, a few things. Some more troubling news on the local journalism front. Brooklyner, a source of Brooklyn news for the past nine years, has announced it's in financial trouble and will have to close by the end of the year if it can't raise money from the public. Their closure, of course, would be yet another blow to Borough News, after last month's shuttering of both Gothamist and DNA Info. According to Dina Ravener, Brooklyner's head of sales and marketing, people are always talking about the importance of local news. Well, this will be a test to see if people actually believe it and are willing to support it. We'll have the Brooklyner editor and publisher on next week to discuss the situation. In the meantime, to find out more, you can go to BKLYNER.com. We've been bringing you news and updates about the NYCHA-led paint scandal, where they lied about testing apartments in their developments for lead paint. Well, now a state senator from Brooklyn has announced that he's offering free lead testing for children who live in NYCHA properties. Senator Jesse Hamilton suggested that these should be given to every child under the age of six. The free tests will be available for the rest of December and all of January at Common Health Urgent Care in Crown Heights, located at 555 Lefferts Avenue. The Watchtower sign has finally come down. It was one of the last vestiges of the presence of the Jehovah's Witnesses who called downtown Brooklyn and Dumbo home. After more than 100 years, they sewed off their considerable collection of property and have moved upstate. The building with the watchtower sign, meant to welcome those coming over the bridge or by sea for the past 70 years, was bought by the Kushner Corp. 
unlike most things related to Kushner these days, this came without controversy. So definitely not a sign of the times. The 860-pound letters will make the move upstate and be reinstalled in the new headquarters. And one final note. I delivered a screed on yesterday's show about MSNBC's firing of Sam Cedar for a satirical tweet denouncing those who supported leniency for rapists as long as they're talented celebrities, as well as the subsequent smear campaign by alt-right knuckleheads. And guess what? MSNBC reconsidered its move and announced today that they're welcoming him back as a contributor. Sometimes you just get one wrong, they said. Nice to know wrongs can still be righted. We'll be right back with a yes man to talk about activism and its fruits. Don't go away. Hey. 2011, those were some heady times. Protest movements seemed to be moving the needle on climate change, and we had Obama in the White House, at least saying the right things about the environment and making gentle progress toward a greener economy. And we had nearly 200 people sleeping in Manhattan's Zuccotti Park, decrying income inequality in what was the main manifestation of the Occupy movement. That was until the middle of November of that year, when the police forced the protesters out. Six years later, we have a corporate crony of Donald Trump running the EPA and a tax plan that will, if anything, increase income inequality. Today we're joined by someone who's been on the front lines of both of these battles. Welcome to 112BK, Jacques Servin. Or should I call you Andy Bicklebaum? Yes. Andy Thanks. Bicklebaum. I'm going to say Andy. <laughs> okay. It's easy. All right. We're going to do that. So Andy, can you just start by telling me about what the movement accomplished now? Oh, you know, let's not forget it accomplished a ton. Mm -hmm. And it's because of Occupy that we had a candidate in this last presidential election who could have really done a tremendous amount of good and I think could have beaten Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. Bernie Sanders would not have had a campaign if it weren't for Occupy. Mm -hmm. um, the themes of inequality that were so prominent in the last election would not have been there. Um, it accomplished a tremendous amount, even though it also fell a little short in right. certain key ways. Um, but, you know, it, you can't ask everything of, of one par little part of a movement. Right. And that's what it was. It was a giant uh, performance mm -hmm. that was a little part of an ongoing movement that will eventually win, although right now it seems hard to imagine. So what direction do you think we're headed in? You think that we're heading in a direction where ultimately the people who believe the things that sent them to Zuccotti Park and kept them in Zuccotti Park in the first place, that we're getting to a place where we're really going to see the fruits of that labor? Or is this just a setback? Um, it's got to be just a setback, because yeah. if it isn't, you know, the alternative is too bleak to contemplate. Yeah. Um, we're headed in a really, really, really dark direction right now, yes. you know, with the creation of, with talk of the creation of a private spy agency answerable mm -hmm. to Donald Trump. You know, what does that sound like? Sounds like something suspicious from 90 years ago, the SS. Yep. Um, so this has to be temporary and this has to be just a setback in the creation of a better world. And I think, you know, you see a lot of signs on the progressive side that people are really waking up. Mm -hmm. 
you see a huge number of super progressive candidates who are sweeping local elections. Mm -hmm. You see a huge number of new progressive candidates who are ready to take control from the Democrats, right. who contributed so much to this current state of near dictatorship that we're, we're headed towards. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if it weren't for Bill Clinton and Bill Gates, we wouldn't have Donald Trump, as Naomi Klein famously said right after the inauguration last year. Right. You know, it was this policies of um, neoliberal, these neoliberal policies, these answering to big donors, these kind of middle of the road, um, very capitalist, very economically mainstream, policies and mm -hmm. ignoring of any real politics and any real issues um, that led us here. Um, and that was by both parties. And yeah. it's, it's also happened in Europe. You know, that's why you see the yes. rise of far-right parties in Europe. Mm -hmm. It's like these so-called socialists who are actually just like our Democrats. Right. Um, it's bleak and ugly, but you see a lot of resistance and a lot of awaking from that now, yes, right? Yes, a lot of resistance. The conversations are changing. changing. They're more nuanced. There's a lot more mm. depth to these conversations. They so may much. not be exactly where we want them to be yet, but I do think they're getting there. I they're agree with there. you on that. So can you talk to me a little bit about the way corporations play into this? Because that's the huge thing, mm -hmm. right? So much of our politics are controlled by businesses. Mm -hmm. What do we do about that? Oh, well, there's lot, it's easy to think of things to do about it if you have control of the Senate and mm -hmm. the House and you replace the corporate Democrats with progressive Democrats. Then it's super easy to think of what to do about it. Mm -hmm. um, you just, you know, make lobbying illegal. Mm -hmm. Easy as F. Um, yeah, it's a little pie in the that sky. Yeah. yeah, but I think that that's, that's a little pie in the sky, making lobbying illegal, right? It's pie in the sky right now, mm -hmm. but it's not pie in the sky if you have a bunch of progressives in the Senate and the House. Right. And um, it, that, that's actually the norm and completely obvious to the rest of the world, to right. the rest of the developed world. You don't have corporate lobbying in most... Um, uh, democracies in the world, right. in pretty much any of them except ours. So uh, that that's one thing, um, you know. And and the motivation to get there is really clear. I mean, this is a corporate coup. Mm -hmm. You know, Donald Trump is appealing to to racism and white supremacy and all that, and his mm -hmm. cronies are all about that, but. It's really in the name of a corporate takeover. Yeah. And as Naomi Klein, again to cite her, she said we were winning. Mm -hmm. Like there was a lot of successful resistance to corporate policies. Mm -hmm. And this can be seen as a coup, um, right. a sort of desperate coup by those corporate forces, which is now taking over in extra legal ways. And how does activism play into the resistance to that? How do we fight that as activists on that level? Well. Now we're at a point where we still can fight, mm -hmm. and the consequences aren't big for us, mm -hmm. uh, for most of us anyways, um, if we fight. Um, but the, um, I think what was missing in Occupy, what we need to bring in now, is a vision of the future. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Occupy had a horizontal uh, structure and, and had you know, prefigurative politics of like everybody uh, participating, but besides that, it didn't really have a big achievable vision. And right now, I think we need a big achievable vision to inspire people and say, look, we can have this. And 
uh, we can have a much, much, much better world than we have now. Mm -hmm. We can abolish private prisons. We can, in fact, almost abolish prisons, period. Mm -hmm. We can uh, have national health care like the rest of the world does, you know. And fortunately, you know, a lot more people are on board with that, even right. in the Senate, than, you, than were before the election. It's one of the ways that things are changing. Right. Um, we could we could have a universal basic income mm -hmm. that would just pay everybody to be alive. Mm -hmm. And we have the technology to automate so many things and to have an economy that's based on people actually pursuing what they want to pursue. And that's mm -hmm. such a crazy, beautiful, utopian vision. It is. And it's pie in the sky right now, but it doesn't have to be. And I think having a big vision like that could really make a difference and could really inspire a lot of people. Talk to, to me about your vision. What are you up to right now? What's your next thing? Right now, uh, I'm working on a couple of movies, one Yes Men movie and one other movie that actually has to do with universal basic income. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and automation. Mm -hmm. um, also working on a TV show. Uh, wow. Yeah, called How to Overthrow the U.S. Government. Excellent. Yeah, and um, been talking with Brick about that, actually. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> Even better. Can Even. you tell me a little bit about the Yes Men movie? What's there? Uh, it's about walls. Mm. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's about building this wall on the southern border. Who knew that wall would end up being a buzzword? Mm -hmm. <laughs> like the, wall. the word wall. Of Yay, all words. Wall. Yeah. Right. Who would think, like, what? Mm -hmm. We're actually, like, you hear things. Yeah, no, the world is upside down right now for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you're trying to make art to address that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Trying to get, you know, art in the name of, like, actually getting something um, happening, getting more happening yeah. um, around this. I mean, America's on fire right now. It is. And we need a thousand other fires to be, to be fighting that one. Mm -hmm. <laughs> or I don't know what the right metaphor is, but you know, there's, there's a real fire going on. I mean, when, uh, when there's talk of a, a spy agency answerable only to the president when there's two million acres of national monuments put up for strip mining, when, mm -hmm. um, you know, when this tax code is being rammed through, when the Muslim ban is being put back into place, you know, it's, it's on fire. Yeah. You know, there's no other word for it. And we need so many forms of resistance right. so fast. Very, very quickly. Very quickly. I mean, the main thing that I'm proud of that I, I've been involved in recently is a video um, explaining what the IDC is, mm -hmm. the Independent Democratic Conference in New York State, which eight so-called Democratic senators, these corporate Democrats, have mm -hmm. um, signed on to in exchange for a lot of kickbacks and a lot of campaign financing. They've signed on to this group that aligns with the Republicans in the state Senate to keep leadership in the hands of Republicans. And there's more Democrats than Republicans in the right. Senate, but if these eight senators keep yeah. the Republicans in power and keep any 
real legislation, real progressive legislation from coming to the floor. So, what I'm hearing is we need to have you back on to hear more about that. About that. Because yeah. I specifically want to hear more about well, that. Well, you can also just play our little video. Yes. It's called Lululand. Lululand. We made it with uh, uh, a little group of friends called mm -hmm. the Creative Resistance. And it explains in a nutshell, in less, I think in two or three minutes, uh, exactly what the IDC is and how it works. Fantastic. So that's what I'm most proud of. Well, we'll check that out. All right. Thank you so much for coming on and for having yeah. this conversation. It's yeah. necessary, and I'm just very, very happy you're doing what you're doing. Mm, same here. Next, two homeless women talk about life in a New York City shelter. New York City has the highest homeless population of any city in the country, and that number has increased 4% since last year. The most visible sign of the city's homeless, of course, are those who live on the street, estimated to be approaching 4,000. But most spend the night in shelters scattered around the city. Before Thanksgiving, the executive director of one of these shelters, Chips in Gowanus, was on the show to talk about charitable soup kitchen contributions during the holidays. But when a couple of Chips residents heard the segment, which dealt very little with shelter life, they felt compelled to reach out to us to share what life was like for them at Chips. Nadia Rose, thanks for joining us today, and Lorraine Langer, Great to have you here on 112BK. Thank you both for being here. So can Thank we just start really quickly with you guys telling us about the experience that led you to CHIPS? And we can start with you, Nadia. Okay, well, I was in a long-term relationship, you know, and you'll never think anything go bad, you know. You're cohabitating, you're making plans for the future. You know, we even came to terms and we're like, you know, we would really love to have a child together. And um, Unfortunately, after five years, that didn't work. You know, we had some issues with infidelity, physical abuse, alcohol abuse on the other end with my partner. And um, it just got to a point where I just couldn't take it anymore. Right. So I chose to leave that situation, you mm -hmm. know, just honestly for, our, for both of our safety because you get to a point where now you feel like you have to defend yourself and mm -hmm. in New York City, they make it very hard for a woman to defend ourselves. Absolutely. And without us actually being the bad guy. You Absolutely. Know? And Lorraine? Well, as in for me, um, mm -hmm. I wasn't able to stay where I was mm -hmm. um, with my child. So I ended up having no choice to go in the shelter and my baby father, um, I mean, I thought we were gonna be in the picture together, but five days before giving birth, he left without saying anything. Wow. Anything, there was no call, no more texting anymore, so it ended like that. And I ended up having no choice but to go into the shelter system. What did you think it would be like before you got there? Unfortunately, this is my second experience in a shelter. My first experience, I was about 17. I went to another youth shelter, and I actually had an amazing experience there. Mm -hmm. I never thought I'd find myself in this situation again, but I thought, you know, being in a mother and child situation, things would be a little bit different, you know? When it comes to the babies, you think everything is pristine, and you know, and just a whole entirely different experience altogether. Mm -hmm. I thought it would be awesome. And I wouldn't say that it's completely terrible, but there are changes that do need to be made to the mother and child program. Talk to me about those changes. Talk to me about what you found when you got there that isn't working for you. Well, 
Coming into the program, we were told that there is no assistance with housing, there's no assisting with childcare, there's no assistance with seeking employment, there's no assistance with anything, pretty much. All they mm -hmm. do is provide shelter, we pay to be in that shelter space, and we're on our own. Um, they do have a, a social worker that is a volunteer. They pretty much work off of volunteer services. Only no one there is paid, not even the house moms that are there who are working over the legal capacity of hours and with no type of you know vacation. And the abuses in the shelter, that's not just on us, it's on the workers as well. Right. You know, so the, the changes that we would love to see are more assistance because we, we can see what goes on. We see the donations coming in. We see people reaching out and helping and donating specifically to our program. But we're like, where are those fo funds being allocated? Right. There aren't any changes being made to the, the units. Mm -hmm. We've had many promises. I've been there three months before I was even able to get a new working stove. And I was paying out of my pocket. I paid three months of rent ahead of time in advance because I came in as a working mother. They wow. usually do not accept working moms. They encourage the mom to be on public assistance, which is outrageous. Mm -hmm. You know, I love that the public assistance is available to us when we need it, but to encourage someone to do that, I feel like you should be encouraging us to seek employment, mm -hmm. uh, you know, to continue in our education, you know, right. to help us be b better mothers. We have these programs, that's every Wednesday, which mm -hmm. was recently cut for a long while. We don't know when they're gonna come back. And, it's, and they're saying that those are cut right now because of construction or because there isn't space. Right. And that's not something, and that's questionable uh -huh. to you it's guys. It's not the truth. Is this just chips or is this a problem with, like do you have any idea if this is a problem with shelters across the board with mom and baby programs? Um, to be honest, I'm a part of this page where it's, for the, our voucher specifically, but people mm -hmm. talk about what's going on in the shelter, such as the other night I was going through the page and there's a woman talking about how she's in a shelter, there's bed bugs in the shelter. Is this like a Facebook page, like a it's, group for yes. women who are yeah. in? Oh. Not only women, there's also men yeah. looking for apartments through this voucher that were just given, but all landlords turn it down. My, Tell me about that a little bit, because before we got absolutely. to taping, you talked about how you've been trying to get apartments with yeah. this voucher yeah. that is supposed to help you get an apartment, and the landlords are refusing to take the voucher. Yes, which mm -hmm. is illegal, but they still do it anyway and get away with it. Right. So um, what I have is city feps. Um, my voucher amount is 1268. Mm -hmm. That might cover a studio if you're lucky in New York City. Yeah. The rent is sky high, high rocket. Like, I feel like they need the race of vouchers. It's very hard. So, um, I've been looking. I was given the voucher one day before my son was born. Wow. I kept. I was in there practically every day, just going at them continuously, calling all the time, telling them, look, I have a week or I have a couple days before I'm about to give birth. I have to be out of where I am. I was mm -hmm. being harassed by the person there. They were telling me, look, you need to leave. You cannot have your baby here. My wife has mental issues and stuff like that. So I just thought it was a slap in the face because I helped the family out. Right. So. I really, really wish that we could keep talking. I wish that yeah. we could keep having this conversation. I'm yeah. hoping that we can have you guys back. We are not dropping this story. We will continue mm -hmm. to do investigation, and this conversation isn't over. Right. So I hope we'll see you guys again soon. Absolutely. Thank you so much for Thank listening. You so much. Thank you. Thank you for coming. Thank, Thank you. Up next, the sketchbook project, an art by the masses. Well, sort of.
Been to a gallery show in Chelsea lately? Not for you? Feels a bit exclusive? Wonder if it's the critics who define for the rest of us what passes as valuable art? Well, a couple of Brooklynites are trying to change that. Former art students who felt the professional art world was a bit restrictive wanted to make it more inclusive. Here to tell us how they're doing that is Steven Peterman, one of the founders of the Sketchbook Project, a crowdsourced art exhibit in Brooklyn and on wheels. Welcome to 112BK. Thanks. Can you talk to me about the genesis of this project? Where yeah. did it come from? Yeah, so we started it in 2006. Uh, actually, we were going to school in Atlanta, uh, and we just started as sort of a small local gallery, and we wanted to get just the local community involved. And this was sort of a few years before crowdfunding became like known to everyone, and so we were just like, what if we sort of put together a project and, and have people all pay a little bit of money, and then we can like make it into this sort of bigger exhibition space that people couldn't do on their own. And so we started doing different projects like that, and the Sketcher Project was just one of those. And we started to get people from all over the world, and it kept growing. And um, so 11 years later, we now have 36,000 sketchbooks mm -hmm. in the collection and, and have you know, learned how much people sort of are, are wanting this sort of outlet for their creativity. Wow. So do you think you guys are sort of trying to redefine what we call art or who gets to call art art? Um, I think that it's for us more about the creative process and mm -hmm. um, sort of creating with a purpose and giving you a place to send your work. Um, I, I was never a big fine artist, but I also really like creating. And so when I didn't have a place for that final creation to go, I think that felt frustrating to me. Like, I don't want to just like draw on a sketchbook and put it in my closet like I wanted to go somewhere else. And so I think that was sort of the, the original thought on it. I don't think we're trying to redefine or change anything. I think we just think there's a lot of creative people out there that are excited to make something and, and maybe don't have that outlet or know how to do yeah. it. Um, or on the other end, there's a lot of professional people that want something that's a little bit more fun than their normal everyday uh, art and or or what they do for their profession, so they want a more lighthearted way to create, and we can provide that for them. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> but <laughs> what other kind of people are getting involved in this project? Do you? I mean, because I was telling you before we even started taping that I'm trying to teach myself how right. to draw, and you know, I wouldn't say it's going well, right. but it's going. <laughs> right. You know, and am I that kind of person? Someone who you know, because I obviously don't draw for yeah. a living. But there are other kinds of people who are sending you things. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, that is sort of what makes it charming is that it, it is across the board. I mean, there's people like you that maybe you're just starting out and you want to sort of have a project that you can start from beginning to end and have a deadline and a place to send it to so you feel like it's sort of completed. Uh, and then we have the, the other side of the spectrum where we have professional artists who um, are just like, I'm, I do this every day for a living and I have these sort of crazy deadlines and I want to just make my own artwork and submit it to something that's more fun and definitely everywhere in between. We have a lot of kids groups and mm -hmm. high schools and middle schools and elementary schools across the country and across the world that participate, um, which is one of our favorite things, uh, you know, that gives them sort of this structure to work within and they have a theme and they have this object that they have to learn to recreate. Right. Um, so there's a lot of really great things to touch upon. Um, so I think it's it's different for every single person. That makes sense. Yeah. So how does somebody get involved? Yeah, so anyone can, and if you're in the local area, can stop by the Brooklyn Art Library, which is our physical space, mm -hmm. uh, where all 36,000 sketchbooks live. And you can wow. get your book there, but you can view books for free 
And all the books are cataloged by the artist, so you can sort of search and be inspired. Mm -hmm. But you can also sign up online at brooklynartlibrary.com. Mm -hmm. um, we have uh, current free gift wrapping going on for the holidays, right. if anyone's into that. And um, you can get your book and, and send it to anyone or to yourself and, and fill it up and submit it back to us by March 31st. Is there a competition or something like that that's... No, There's no, no competition? No. Uh, anyone that submits it back is included in the collection, and as wow. long as you get it back to us by that deadline, you're included in the traveling exhibition, uh, which is the wheels part that you mentioned right. in your intro. Um, yeah, we have a, a mobile library that we're sort of going to uh, change a little bit for this year, and we haven't sort of announced what it's going to be yet, but we're going to redo that sort of part. And we're traveling definitely to Chicago, Toronto, and Atlanta. Mm -hmm. So your book will go to museums and galleries in those cities and possibly more. Um, and then it resides permanently in the, in the space in Williamsburg. Wow. Well, thank you so much for being here, yeah. Steve, and I really appreciate yeah, it. Thank you for having me. That's it for 112BK this week. Next Wednesday, the 13th, Brickhouse hosts its next Be Heard town hall meeting called Mental Health as a Civil Right. And we'll have a conversation about mental health care and the LGBTQ community. Also on tap, affordable housing, the potential loss of yet another local media outlet, Brooklyner, and a visit with Borough President Eric Adams. 112BK is hosted by me, Ashley Ford, and is produced by Ross Tuttle, Fred Brown, Shireen Bargy, Emily Bogosian, and Kritzi Roberts. Our show is edited by Clinton Filson Jr. and Kyrell Palmer and is recorded by our studio technical director, Eric Haugasek. Our executive producers are Aziz Aisham, Jonathan Leaf, and Sasha Mathias. If you want to get in touch, you can leave us a comment, tweet us using the hashtag 112BK, email us at 112BKpodcast at gmail.com, or leave a message at 347-504-0801. And make sure you subscribe to the show on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or whichever podcatcher you use. 112BK is part of the Brick Radio family. For more information on this and all Brick Radio podcasts, visit brickartsmedia.org slash radio.